Cut the Crest presents The Screening Room Welcome back to the screening room. Uh, today I'm joined by a very special guest uh, that I've known for a few years now, um, primarily through the convention circuit, but I've been a fan of his work for quite some time. Uh, he is a sculptor in film, so you will have seen a lot of his work, but perhaps not be able to point that to, you know, a face or a name, but he, he is everywhere. He, his, his work has appeared in pretty much everything that uh, anybody who's listening to this show knows and loves, quite frankly. It's uh, Brian Muir. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while since we've seen each other in person, but um, yeah, it's good to hear your voice again. So, Brian, I'm just going to, let's keep it nice and loose. Um, you have worked in film as an artist, basically, for some four or five decades Right, nearly forty-eight years. Good God! Um, I started way back in nineteen sixty-eight, but then I retired six years ago now. Oh, My last film being uh, Rogue One, but okay. going right back to nineteen sixty-eight, I started at Elstree Film Studios, which was Associated British Production back then, and I was lucky enough to be the only apprentice sculptor ever in the film industry. So I started at the age of 16, um, wow. mainly working on small British films, going to college and doing life drawing, life modelling. We had models to, to work from, uh, did wood carving there, a little bit of stone carving, uh, lettering. Um, so I had a really good training. I was extremely lucky, really. Yeah. But uh, at the age of 20, when I came out of my apprenticeship, the British film industry was in such a mess um, that I got made redundant the day I come out of my apprenticeship, which I thought my, my, my oh, career God. was finished before starting, really. Yeah. But I was lucky enough to get um, a job up uh, a company that had been going for about 100 years up in London and I was doing prestigious work all around London. I, at the age of 20, I had work unveiled by the Queen of England. At 22, I had work unveiled by the um, Queen Mother. Um, and it wasn't until I was there for about three years. And then I had a phone call out the blue uh, from the old guy that I trained under saying, would I like to go back into the film industry? There's a sci-fi film starting at Elstree. So at the time, they were only offering six weeks work. So I didn't know what to do, whether, whether to, because I had a permanent job, whether to take, take a chance and do it or say no. But I said yes. And so at the beginning of 1976, I started at Elstree on Star Wars. And... Um, the strange characters that he said that they wanted me to do are now quite iconic, being Darth Vader, the Stormtroopers, the Death Star droid, um, finishing work on C-3PO and CZ-3 were the characters that I worked on at the time. 
uh, Vader went on and they kept the Vader that I sculpted for the first three pictures with minor changes um, that were done by the plasterers, just simply uh, filing the uh, widow's peak off and making the chin vent bigger, different paint job. But I mean, it, it went through the, the departments anyway. Um, Vader, like I would sculpt it. The plasterers did uh, made a, a plaster cast off of Dave Prowse. So they molded him, cast him, made him in plaster. And it was the plaster Dave Prowse that I worked on. So I never actually got to meet him on the film. I mean, obviously, oh, wow. after in the, in the signing circuit and conventions, that I um, got to meet him a lot and more often than not, I was next to him signing. But uh, yeah, I mean, so I was on it in the end, um, Star Wars, this is for about four and, four and a half months. Very, very busy. I did 76 days without a day off. Wow. So at the end of it, I was, I was really quite glad to finish. Although <laughs> I didn't know where the next job was coming from. But yeah, I was lucky I worked on a film just for about three weeks um, called the, the Eagles Landed, a war film. And I went up to Maple Durham and I was a, in a big marquee next to the Thames there on, on um, a private estate. And um, I sculpted the two tombs that were in the church because they wanted explosives and every, everything. And obviously they couldn't do it in the church. So I had to sculpt it and they built the interior of the church in the middle of a field so I did gothic work as well and um then straight more or less straight after that I went out on my first location to Budapest in Hungary working on a film called Prince and the Pauper which was all Tudor work which was really nice doing I love Budapest um that that was really nice working there and being in 76 the Russian troops were still on the streets there so it was quite interesting going back to a hotel of a night time and you turn around the corner and there's Russian troops there with Kalashnikov rifles. So, you know, it's been a varied life as a sculptor in the film industry. Um, but uh, as far as traveling goes, we since retiring and, and a bit before anyway, um, all the conventions we've done all around the world, even China, China we went there twice in one year. Japan, the Philippines, all over America, Canada, Mexico, all over Europe. So, and you've probably done a bit of that yourself anyway. A little bit, not to that scale though, um, but uh, and not uh, not for like proper work work. But uh, yeah, that, I mean that's that's incredible, Brian. Um, I mean, I, I suppose I do have. Okay, I suppose one of the angles I wanted to approach was if there were some young uh, guys who are listening to this, who were wondering how to break, you know, how to take that journey into film from studying fine art. Um, like how, how did you, how, how did that work for you? Was it as simple as when you were a student that you knew you wanted to work in the film industry specifically, or was it that you just wanted to sculpt and just make fine art? Well, it was initially, but it meant going to art college. And I um, I didn't do that well at school, to be honest with you. So um, going to art college wasn't a choice I had. 
but I did want to do something in art. And I went down to um, the careers office. My mum knew someone down there and I went down and she said, oh, there's a, jo a job um, going in the film industry. Um, they want an apprentice. They'd sent 12 people down um, there or 12 people had gone along for an interview there and they'd turned them all down. Uh, so she said to me, don't really expect to get the job. Don't, you know, expect too much. So I went down there and she told me it was a model maker. And I th I just visualised doing these little models. So when I, the old guy said to me, he took me in the stock room where there's big, big, big figures and architectural work, really nice work there. And he said, do you think you can do this? And I was 16, never really sculpted before. And uh, with tongue in cheek, I said, yes, I think I probably could. So anyway, I did get the job. And it, as it turned out, I could do it um, to a fairly good standard, which has been proved over time with all the different, well, 70 films I've worked on. Um, but I would say nowadays, I mean, it was very difficult when I went into the film industry because it was a union it was, a, it was a closed shop you had to have a union ticket to get a job and you had to get a job to have a union ticket so there was a lot of nepotism in the film industry at that time you know fathers right. would get sons in or uncles would get their nephews in or that sort of yes. thing was uh, rife. but now it's uh, it's easier to get in the film industry but there's so many people want to do it Mm. So the only thing I can say to youngsters now mm. is go to art college, get a training. Don't be afraid of, of copying work. What you need to do in the film industry is to be able to do any style of work they ask for. You mm. can't just concentrate on one thing like doing, I'm a specialist in Egyptian work because you'd only work every 10 years, <laughs> you know, when an Egyptian film comes along and they wouldn't have mm. you anyway because the designer has got his favorite sculptors that can do anything yeah. so you, you know if you go to art college don't be afraid to copy because there are very few people that make it as a fine artist mm. you know if you're going to make a living which means that you've got to pay a mortgage and bring your kids up and all, all that sort of thing you have to be able to do it all yeah um so the other thing is to get a really good portfolio together um, yeah. take pictures of everything you do so that if you go for a job anywhere you can actually show that you can do the job or they'll at least give you a chance yeah you still got to go on the film and prove that you can be useful to them even if you like nowadays you go for an hod sculptor or um if you go into the prop room you have to do you know the work to a good standard because it's needed a, a good standard within the film industry so yeah i mean i'd say don't give up on your dreams go go for it um find out what films are coming up and put feelers out if you know people i mean i've lost touch with everyone now from you know being in the film industry yeah i suppose I'm still known of, and there are the, the young guys that were there when I, they're, they're now head of department and, you know, good, there are some good sculptors in, in the film industry now, but, um, yeah, <clears throat> that's all I can say really is yeah. persevere with it.
Absolutely. Um, yeah. The the portfolio um, comes up time and time again, and and on the rare occasions that somebody asks me about it as well, um, that's all I say to them is that you just got to make sure that that your that your folio is there. You know, you just got to keep making, keep doing. Um, no, it's incredible, uh, Brian. So you you. I suppose um, one of the differences between just being a fine artist and the kind of stuff that you've had to do where you've adapted um, in the film industry is I suppose, well, what I've always found interesting is that making that transition from the conceptual phase where sort of almost, it's almost as though anything goes and people just go crazy with, on that side. Would you say that it falls then on you to make that those outlandish ideas and whatnot practical yeah um, exactly. like so engineering this thing to actually work even things like the space jockey you know you have to work out a practical way of doing it i mean giga did the concept art which was brilliant in fact i've got some hanging on my wall here the space mm -hmm. jockey that he sent me after the film is concept wow. art um but yeah, I mean, you, it was 26 foot high. You have to work out uh, not the only the visual side of it at that scale, but actually how to make it, what materials to do it in and everything else, because it was a mixed material. Um, so we had the basic um, shape inside made in wood, and then all the detail was put on the outside up to about a foot deep. So we didn't have to do the uh, the shape inside like with polystyrene because polystyrene figures you would do it in poly solid polystyrene like on Golden Eye all the big Russian statues me me and another guy did all of it the whole whole um, the statue part that was shot a, a night scene um, we did all of it just two of us. And we had two guys just helping doing basic cutting. Um, but because it was at price, we you know worked the hours and put the effort yeah. in, but we did all that a lot in 10 weeks. I don't know if you've seen Golden yeah. Light, but yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a got a lot of work on it. And yeah, but I worked on 10 bomb films in, in all. The first one I worked on is uh, Spyro Love Me. Yeah, um, and that was had all the uh, Egyptian work in it. But one of the things that might be remembered is the tiger shark that Jaws, the character Jaws, um, yeah, wrestles yeah. with in Shark Tank. Well, I sculpted that shark that he wrestles with. I mean, you can't have a a live shark wrestling it with one of your main <laughs> main actors. So, so yeah, I, I sculpted that, and then the same shark you see it swimming up to an actress that was dumped. From the lift, she was dumped down a chute into the shark tank, and you see this shark swim up to her. Well, that was a shark, shark I sculpted. Wow. But um, all the in Q had his headquarters at, out in Abu Simbel, which was in Egypt. Okay. In, and it was moved up at 200 foot when they put up the uh, Aswan Dam and created the lake that was huge so they had to move it up uh hundreds of tons of uh, rock 200 foot so it would be above the water and now it's on the lake edge so people that go up and cruise up to it and for a bbc um 
a program they they with Matthew Kelly in that was um, where they plundered Egypt of all the antiquities. The yeah. French and British were in in a race to get as much as they could. <clears throat> well, that program, we a small team of us went out to Egypt. And we were working out there and we carved Abu Simbel full size, a section of it, because they they show when they discovered the entrance, because there was sand drifts right up across the entrance, covering all the um, most of the legs up to the knee. So we only carved from the knee up to the neck because that's all we had to do. But when you think that's about 100 foot high, it was still a huge job to undertake in the time we yeah. had to do it yeah but that's incredible you know going on i mean indiana jones and yeah and uh temple of doom i worked on raiders of the lost ark and uh, there's one memorable scene there where um harrison paul goes down into the snake pit and he's yeah. uh, terrified of snakes <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden he's there's a cobra in front of him um, uh, yeah. and it was raised up and from when they shot from behind his head they had a glass a huge glass sheet going across and the cobra was behind that so it couldn't obviously bite him yeah. when they shot the other way to you see his terrified face yeah. that cobra I sculpted oh, so amazing yes yeah so you can't see the difference but they <laughs> clever. you know you because you couldn't have a glass sheet in for that, because yeah. you would see it. Going the other way into the dark, you could get away with doing it, but not going the other way where the light is shining on his face. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was done for that one. The Ark of the Covenant, I did a lot of work on on that. There were two of us who did, did the work on it, but that's a well-known piece. Yeah. Or Temple of Doom. There was quite a lot of work done on that, but um, one memorable scene was when they plucked the heart out of the sacrifice in the um, yeah the, yeah the temple, and the heart is beating in in the hand of the high priest. Well, I sculpted the heart, and I went to um, Harefield Hospital. They thought it'd be a good idea if I went to see a heart surgeon, so I went there and I was chatting to this heart surgeon. And um, he, I asked him what was the closest heart I could get to the human being. And he said yeah. primates, which I couldn't get a, a monkey's heart or anything. So in the end, for a sheep's heart would be quite close. So I had a plastic heart from a hospital with the veins in the right place and the right scale and size. And the sheep's heart, a real sheep's heart that I could use for the detail. And, but the funny thing was, is when I was leaving, he said, um, I'm doing open heart surgery tomorrow, if you'd like to come along and watch. Oh so it God. didn't take me long to say thanks, but no thanks. I could hardly say halfway through the operation, <laughs> could you rest his heart on his chest? I'd like to get a few pictures. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, did, I, I did it from what I had. But yeah. there was some, there was some really nice work to do on, on that. There was the the scene where they had the banquet, where they had the monkey's heads that were open. Yeah. Um, you had some dancers there and some musicians, and there was a ornate horse behind each of them facing 
inwards yeah. to the arch. Oh, and yeah. I sculpted that, and it was um, painted to look like sandstone, but I carved it in polystyrene. Amazing. Um, but, oh, blimey, there's so much work on some yeah. of the Bond, Bond films. It's, um, what was the one, Die Another Day, where they had the ice jet, went across yep. the ice, and it went off the end. I sculpted that ice jet and then it was moulded. It was cast in fibreglass. And even the glass cockpit area, I yeah. sculpted that in polystyrene and they moulded it and created a fibreglass buck that they pulled the perspex over, the clear perspex over to create that. So it's not always really ornate work. Like you might yeah. get on say Clash of the Titans, where I did all the yeah. bigger Syrian balls, a 25-foot figure I did on it. Yeah. Um, the archway to the city that uh, they had on that with all the Assyrian panels on, the gods and that, I did all yeah. them back at Pinewood. So I was at Pinewood for six months on it, and then I went out to Malta um, in the summer working outside and carving the 25 foot figure in polystyrene and the Syrian balls. So I was forever, because you grease yourself up to try and protect yourself a bit against the sunshine. Yeah. You know, I was ever covered covered in white polystyrene. I looked like a oh. snowman. Oh, my God. Actually, that, it's interesting you should bring up the, um, so, you know, go, the, the films that sort of require some kind of historical uh, reference um, like so, you, you know, you've spoken about how you how you went about getting the reference for the the beating heart and everything that Amrish Puri's character sort of extracts from that poor guy. Um, how so? How does that research? How does the research part of it work for you when when you're looking at sort of the Egyptology side and 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 things like that? Is it? You, you do actually seem to go quite far. It's not just like you stick to reference books, right? You actually try and find real world examples of of those things what kind how, how what's your process there well mostly you you might get the art department give you a book and say there's a nine inch figure there we want that but we want it 14 foot high so then i have to draw it at 14 foot and sculpt right. it in clay so okay. on that two-dimensional drawing i have to see it three-dimensionally which i can do even if it's yeah. just a light drawing i don't have to see a picture that's three-dimensional as such yeah so, you know i i find it easy to see things three-dimensionally which yeah. helps you're a sculptor obviously yeah, of course so that but, that was basically a skill that you perhaps hadn't tapped into until you until your teacher or a form tutor said go to this place for this apprenticeship and, and, and then when you started actually physically doing the work, that's when you realized, actually, I can do this. You know, th this is. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, Clash of the Titans was a nice one to work on where you had Sir Lawrence Olivier, Maggie Smith, yeah. and I had to do a four foot six head of Maggie Smith where it, um, it falls off the stat statue and it's laying on the floor and you see it talking. Um, where they overlaid and CGI sort of on top of it. Um, yeah. But that was based on a 120-foot statue. Right. Um, but the actual statue was only about two foot high. 
that's how big that was done. But because oh, the hedge is against people, it has to be done to scale. Yeah. So you can get away with doing the small figure for the actual set and a model. Yeah. But for the for the actual head that's talking, it had to be four foot six high. Um, so that was a bit of a fun job to do. But um, yeah, I mean things like uh, Alexander the Great. Yeah. I wasn't so impressed with the film, although there were some amazing battle scenes in it. Sure. But uh, I did a fourteen foot figure in that um, in clay um, wow. wing figure figure. It, I had, and they gave me two weeks to do it, which wasn't long for the job that I had to do. Yeah. And funny enough, that at the end, I, I did it in the two weeks and it, it was a nice job. Yeah. And all of a sudden behind me, I heard clapping and it was the plasterers. And I don't think they were clapping because they've seen, obviously they mould so much really nice work and they're extremely good at what they do. I don't know that it was for the standard of the job. I think it's because I did it in the two weeks. They were really impressed with that. Because <laughs> techni technically they know, you know, how long people have spent on on other work as such. And, yeah, yeah. they've been around for years, the guys who are in there doing working with us. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... That was that was a nice film to work on actually. There's a lot of lovely work to do on it. Yeah. Um, it's a shame the film didn't didn't show up that well, really. I don't think. Right. Just yeah. Wasn't yeah. so good. It's always you know I think it's easy for uh, some people to forget. You see it all the time online and stuff that where they where they talk about um, a film or a TV show or whatever, and sort of they're, they're trying to trash it or whatever, not re necessarily realizing how much work and love has gone into it. And that there are other factors, aren't there ultimately that that can affect the final, the final product. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. That is, that, that is fascinating. And it's interesting that you've moved into sort of slightly newer stuff because of the clash of the times for anybody wondering where Brian's obviously talking about the 2010 um, version um, uh, and Alexander and all that, that these are the modern versions, not, not the stuff from whatever it was, the fifties or sixties, but uh, how, do, how no, different clash, do you. Sorry. Clash of the Titans was in the eighties. That was oh, the this first. Was the 80s uh, one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Your pardon. Sorry. Lawrence Olivier. Yeah. They of did. Course. They did another Clash of the Titans after, but no, yeah. that was the original one. Oh, so I did your pardon. I did all the shields in that as well. The ornate shields that they oh. had. Oh. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. made Brad and Eagle on his his one, which I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of work on that. I did a big figure with a, a like a serpent wrapped around it for one of the big um, sets we did. I think it was the set where Maggie Smith's head comes off. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I beg your pardon. Sorry, I thought we were talking about the modern one. Um, but okay, Let, let's actually. So while while we're on the topic of modern, as it were, how do you find like in terms of the difference between working? during say the 80s uh versus now like so for example if we just go back to star wars for a moment because i'm sure a lot of listeners would be interested in that um working on that first film versus coming back for rogue one how did how did that 
feel? What were the differences? Were there any differences in terms of process? And, and you know, just, yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that? Not really. I'm only the fact that they used so much more CGI. It wasn't about yeah. back in 76. So everything we did was, was made. Um, yeah. And you could only shoot on what you actually build and make. Yeah. Uh, the characters as well. Whereas from, I think it was number one, Phantom Menace, where yeah. they went uh, uh, totally overboard with CGI and it, sure. it showed. Um, the actors didn't have sets to work to as such and they didn't um, have props to work with. It was all against blue screen and green screen. So, yeah. I mean, I did, a, I did a job for that, but it was a, I had my workshop at Elstree at the time yeah. and my company, which was at Elstree Design and Construction, yeah. which um, I did fold in about 2000. Uh, I went yeah. back to just signing on films. Yeah. Um, but uh, what was the point I was making? I've lost straight there. <laughs> well, what was you in terms of like? Um, okay, so I suppose we we've ascertained that. Um, oh, I, I was actually sorry. I, I was actually saying that it was all made at the time, and and about yeah. CGI on number one, yeah. and that I did actually make something for that one, and it was these space leg. For the main spaceship that was all CGI, apart from the space leg where they run down the um, the actors run down the ramp, and you <laughs> see the leg by the side of them, and that's the only thing that is done three dimensionally. It's all CGI. Wow, that's yeah, it's in interesting so, um, change, isn't it? Uh, and then it changed even more. CGI was used more and more. Yeah. I, I, I actually like CGI. I think it's great, but only used at the right time. Yeah. I don't think you can say, oh, we're, on this picture, we're going to use CGI and forget all the traditional ways of doing everything. It's the new way. Yeah. No, it's not. You use it when it's needed. It enhances the film. Mm. I yeah, know I've got absolutely. a wasp next to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I feel about I mean... The other thing that's really coming in now is 3D printing, obviously, but mm. smaller scale stuff. Um, but I'm glad that I retired when I did. Yeah. Uh, I got out of, at the right time and I'd done so much work over 48 years that I was getting tired. I, I really had enough of sculpting. And even now, six years on, I don't feel that I want to sculpt sure I, you know i've done i've just done so much sculpting over those years mm. and always under pressure i mean it's, it's you're always under pressure i mean on that first star wars the pressure i was under to get because when les moore left the picture i was the only, i was the only sculptor working on it hence i worked for 76 wow. days without a day off Incredible. um but uh, yeah, so I, I, I was ready to call it a day when I did. Um, <laughs> You've paid your dues, Brian. You've paid your dues. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I wouldn't yeah. have changed the thing. Um, but I enjoy what we're doing now um, yeah. going around, traveling, meeting fans, um, doing talks uh, on panels. And I do talks as well, just by myself with a film behind me 
which go down very well. Um, nice. People enjoy them. Um, and I've got better over the years at doing that as well. I mean, I, my, the first one I did was at the uh, University of Film in um, Tokyo. And I, I was really nervous when I went into that. They were all trainee um, directors and producers. Um, so I, I was extremely nervous, but it, it worked okay. And slowly you hone your skills over a period of time, you, the way you talk and things you talk about and so on, things that work and things that don't work quite so well. Um, and I find that every talk I do is different because I, I, I don't try and have any sort of scripted stuff at all because that's where you can go, I, I yeah. anyway, go totally wrong. So it's just all free and easy. Yeah. I, I try to cover certain things if I can bring them in. Um, yeah. And it, it works well. I did, I did one just the other week in a convention in Luxembourg, which was a lovely convention to do. Nice. And, um, yeah, it was lovely there enjoyable so speaking of conventions you let's just um well I, i'm conscious of uh, how much of your time i'm taking up but um you've got a show coming up you're back in switzerland yeah for the third time at uh, basel it's quite a big show and um it's a lovely place to be in basel it's a lovely old town there and it's a huge convention hall um Michael Schramm will be there with all these oversized props and that. So, yeah, and there's you know, just so much going on there. I mean, yeah. So, Brian, so, if people want to um, learn more about your work um, and keep up to date on all your appearances, where can they go to find that information out? Um, it's Brian Muir, Vader Sculptor, um, googlemail.com, I believe. I can never remember. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, you're so prolific, Brian, that I think if they just Google your name, I'm sure it's the first, it's the top hit. Um, yeah. Brian, thank you so much for talking me to, to, uh, to me today. It's been really interesting. It always is really interesting. Um, uh, yeah. Thank you so much. And love to Lindsay as well. Um, and hopefully we'll see you guys soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Artie, I see she's doing one at Stockport, so I saw it come down. Oh, is she? Yeah, maybe. I, I, can't, keep, I, I can't keep up. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, she's got a couple of bits coming up. But, um, yeah. No, hopefully we'll, we'll all get to have a drink together at some point soon. Hopefully. Um, enjoyed talking with you, and I hope we meet up soon. Thank you.